Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing. I'm Manuel Feed. He's Stefan Bienkowski. How's it going, Stefan? Yeah, very, very well. Another fun weekend of Bundesliga football. Here we are, taking it all in. Champions League to come. Can't complain. It's it's so fast at the moment. Um, back to back to back to back games, um, cramming in as many games as possible um, ahead of the World Cup. It's been so fast paced. Yeah, um, and we have absolute chaos, Stefan. Mm. Absolute chaos in this league. Uh, a league that looked to be dominated by Bayern Munich has Union Berlin and Freiburg at the very top. <laughs> Just, it's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. It's 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 kind of exactly what we want as Bundesliga fans. I guess unless you're a Bayern fan. I'm, I, I'm not even sure Bayern fans are that upset. We'll see. We can, get, we can dig into it a wee bit, but... Mm. Um, yeah. It's fun. It's it's been fun, um, and it's completely not what I expected. And yeah, as I said, we have we have a ton to discuss. So let's um, do all of that after this break. This episode of the Gegen Pressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first to market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including. Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information, from live in-game betting, props, and futures. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BLEAV50. B-L-E-A-V-5-0. BLEAV50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Yeah, um, are we are we going to start with Bayern, I guess, this this week? We should probably start with Bayern, right? Yeah, let's do it. 2-2 um, against Stuttgart. <sighs> I guess there's a lot of rotation at the moment, right? Um, I'm sort of trying to, to sort my thoughts here because... You had a feeling throughout this game that that they would drop points, and even when they went up a second time against Stuttgart, and I think they were quite lucky actually because Stuttgart had a perfectly good goal called off too, right? Hmm. Um, the I think it was Guriasi who scored after I don't know Kimmich gets slightly tucked and just falls down and gets the whistle. I, I have no idea why that got called back, um, and I think most Bayern fans like agreed with that. Um, but it's now this third time in a row, um, excluding the Champions League game, where I actually thought they were excellent. Um, funnily enough, against the best opponent that they faced in the stretch, mm. that they dropped points, and <laughs> it was you know at least this time they took the lead, right? Mm. But um, 
they 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 took, gave away the lead against um oh Gladbach. Then they gave away the lead against Union. They didn't give away the lead here, but you know they were twice up, and they still dropped two points. And you know there's a lot of rotation, of course. Um, and Nagelsmann is forced to do this rotation because, as Kerry Howe, friend of the show, reported for Sport 1, there is quite a little bit of upheaval within the squad about playing time, right? So he's kind of forced off rotating quite heavily. But you would think that with the quality he has on, on the pitch, even, you know, 17-year-old Matisse Tell scores in his first Bundesliga game, becomes the youngest Bayern score, goal scorer in history, that there is enough quality there to, but I'll do respect, beat Stuttgart, right? Mm. Yeah, it was an odd game. You know, it, it was an odd game in a sense that I had a good rant about it before the hands, moaning that Sky had picked this game, saying it was going to be a pretty one-sided affair. And then, obviously, as these things always happen, when you complain about it, the, the opposite happens, which I was more than happy to see. I had all these people being like, oh, I get it up you. You know, it was actually a fun game. And I was like, why Why is that a bad thing? Why, why would I be upset about that? <laughs> um, anyway... Um, no, it it's kind of what we've seen from Bayern quite a lot this this already this season in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, I do kind of wonder if part of it's kind of what I was kind of what I said after the Inter game in the sense that that front line's very well equipped to deal with teams that come out and attack Bayern, uh, but when it comes to actually playing against teams who maybe sit in a bit more, I know Stuttgart were very good at kind of closing Bayern down, but they're also very defensive when it had to, when it had to be. Uh, and once again, this Bayern team just struggled with that. And there does seem to be a real issue with Nagelsmann getting this team to really jump up a gear or two. I don't know why, but I think there's maybe kind of little individual things around the pitch. Um, I thought Leon Goretzka looked far from fit. And I think him in the middle of the pitch really kind of, it really seemed to kind of limit Bayern in terms of the kind of speed um, I thought you know I don't want to be too harsh on the kid because he is so young but you know in, you know, he obviously got all the headlines and fair play he scored a good goal but I actually thought Tell did very little except for that goal which was also mm-hmm. kind of deflected as well so again I don't want to say he's got his goal fair enough he'll be fine but I also kind of thought he didn't actually have enough presence about him throughout the match it did seem a little disrespectful to an extent for that Nagelsmann thought he could just kind of throw this kid in and Stuttgart were just going to crumple in front of them. And I don't know. It, it, it was it was a very, very odd game. It's also And also just kind of playing Muller up front as the kind of striker. It just kind of screamed as though Bayern were just resting players. Um, and, you know, even just, I'm just kind of thinking now, other things that I kind of picked up on through the game. Mm. Masrui, the fullback, I thought he looked like he still has to settle in. Delict looked slightly off the pace, shall we say? He looked almost over eager to kind of compensate for certain things. I'm not quite sure where that came from. Obviously, the most obvious one came in the penalty at the end of the game, which was completely unnecessary. Mm. Um, and, in, and in so many instances where you know Kimmich gets pulled, Kimmich gets caught in possession. I think Bayern were very lucky for that to be pulled back as well. So in the end, Stuttgart could have probably won this game quite rightly uh, without a huge amount of complaints from from Bayern. So I think the only player who really stood out to me was maybe Davies. And at times yeah. it felt as if he was almost single-handedly trying to run through Stuttgart's defence. Um, 
Musiala obviously scored a very good goal, so you know, fair enough to him. But on the whole, there does seem to be something. There's a malaise about this Bayern side. I know, and I did notice a few a few Bayern fans even saying this, but in, during the Inter Milan game, you know, I thought they were actually quite clinical. Um, I thought they're quite good at parts. Uh, I think tactically they worked quite well against Inter, but I can understand when Bayern fans say, "Well, actually, we we were, again we were kind of in first gear there, and we were quite lucky that Kimmich and you know Leroy Sané were able to kind of produce moments of magic to win that game for Bayern, even though Inter never really looked like um, you know they were able to kind of match Bayern toe for toe. But so in general, I'd say you know it it has been a bit of a not so much that say that Bayern have huge worries, but it just kind of feels as if the team's quite jaded. Maybe is the best word to describe it. Yeah, I took a look at the average positioning, and it kind of confirms a little bit what I felt during the game is that there wasn't very much attacking progress for this Bayern Munich side. If mm. that makes sense, it seemed all very bunched up in the middle. Stuttgart were much wider, uh, and even far further forward, and. Uh, Pellegrino Materazzo with a 3-3-2-2. Am I missing players here? Um, a 3-3-2-2. Yeah. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sense that, I mean, this is the all-important question. And we've been moaning about this. And this is really the lack of a better word, that teams in Germany haven't done enough to really tactically challenge Bayern Munich, right? a ton of game pressing in this league and um, you have quite a lot of teams trying to play their attacking style of football and just getting smashed to pieces. Um, Bochum is, is a good example of that. Frankfurt was a good example of that. But recently, in the last three games, you have teams kind of looking at Bayern Munich and say, well, wait a minute here. We'll probably have to approach this game a little bit differently. And there is actually a formula now to get points of them. And I think this is maybe excellent news for for the, the league overall. Not great news for Bayern Munich, um, but for the league overall, that a lot of teams are now, including at the Allianz Arena, going and say, "This is a place where we can get a result." And you had it now three times in a row. And I think a lot of other teams will be looking at, you know, this blueprint and say, "Wait a minute here. This is not an automatic throwaway point or two or even three. We we can actually get something here." And I mean, this is what we all want, what the whole league wants. Um, but I, I think there is something to that. And I think some of it comes down to, and you know, Saudi money is a, is a fantastic signing. Matisse Tell is a fantastic signing. In fact, my entire newsletter last week was about how the side, I think, got better. And I think I still believe that. But at the same time, they don't have a, they have, don't have a natural focal point in the attack and Robert Lewandowski, right? Mm. And that means that that was always an avenue that you really couldn't shut down, especially that Müller-Lewandowski combination. And right now, because the, the team isn't really hasn't really found itself, because you have to put these pieces all together, teams are finding ways to shut down Bayern Munich because they're not exactly clicked in gear yet. Mm. And, you know, as you kind of said, the, the kind of the looming issue here is obviously going into the Barcelona game where mm-hmm. Barcelona are now flying with that number nine that used to do, used to be the guy who would unlock these games for Bayern Munich. And I was kind of saying this on Twitter on Monday about the kind of Harry Kane rumours that kind of bur- uh, bubbled to the top of this, yeah. this bubble to the surface again. 
Um, you know, Hassan Salihamovic was asked about it during the week in the German television, and he says we've not spoke to anyone. We're quite happy with the players we have. And the point he I was trying to make on to say that he has to say that. Yeah, of course he has to say that. But the, <laughs> the point the point I was making on Twitter was that we're probably going to have these rumors pop up every time Bayern fail to kind of really score goals and see out games because the natural reaction to these games is. Well, if Bayern had a proper striker in the box, they probably would score from them, you know. Now, can't really lay the blame here at Sadio Mane because he wasn't playing. Um, but Bayern were essentially playing in our strikeless formation and mm. it just didn't work. So I think we'll, we'll have to kind of wait and see what happens in this Barcelona game because I do kind of think Nagelsmann set up this team um, to challenge in the, in, you know, in, the, in the Champions League and a team like Barcelona, who will obviously be obliged to attack Bayern and to try and play their own game of football, could fall straight into that trap. So we could very easily find ourselves in a situation where Bayern are absolutely thriving in the Champions League, but they're actually still kind of struggling to get through in the Bundesliga, which I guess is no bad thing if you're yeah. a if you're a fan of the yeah. league. And the historic this historic precedence for that, where Bayern Munich, you know, in the seventies when they were. Um, the most dominant Bayern team other than the one we currently have. They were always very dominant in Europe, but they actually struggled in the Bundesliga. Hmm. They just kept qualifying for Europe because they used to win the, the European Cup, right? Um, and the last time they did not win the title um, in 2012, when they also lost that ill-fated Champions League final to Chelsea, they were actually really dominant in Europe too, but not very good in the Bundesliga. Um, so I think there is precedent for that. And I mean, they might have taken a long look at this and said, do we really care if we win a 10th title? Of course they do, but you know, seemingly, but at the end of the day, if they win the Champions League, but not the Bundesliga title, is that really the end of the world for them? No, not at all. And there might be an argument to be made within Bayern that that's what they're focusing on. If you ask Bayern if they would win the Champions League but finish second in the Bundesliga, I don't think there'd be a huge amount of complaints about that. No, I mean, they would publicly complain, but internally, I don't think they would. Because they would just say, okay, well, we're not again next year. We have 30-something of those things lying around in our museum. Like, you know... <laughs> <laughs> it's not like that one more or less is really that important but I, I, I am that what they want is Champions League domination and mm-hmm. I, I 100% agree with your point that you made um, on Twitter last week and I kind of alluded to that in my article as well is that this team is built for Champions League success this is a direct response of what happened to them against Villarreal mm. right yeah and of so, course and, and with the greatest respect, Julian Nagelsmann hasn't come to Bar- hasn't come to Bayern to win Bundesliga titles. Uh, he's come to win the Champions League yeah. because that's that's the one thing that will can that will prove that he's in that top tier of football managers. A, a, another league title at Bayern's not going to do that. Just like Pochettino winning Ligue 1 with PSG last season didn't really move the dial at all in terms of his reputation. Mm-hmm. So, yep. you know, Nagelsmann knows that that's where he has to make headway uh, if he's to kind mm. of continue progressing as a head coach. Yeah, and you bang on with that because like, look at Tuchel and the reaction by Chelsea fans. Mm. You know, he had a good reputation as a head coach before he came became Chelsea manager. Um, won league uh, on many occasions, won the, the German Cup, but at Chelsea he didn't win a league title, but he won the Champions League. 
right? Mm. And this is why you have such a negative response from Chelsea fans on his firing, because that is really what's made him stand out for them, you know, that he had that master class performance against City in the final. Um, and speaking of Chelsea, did you hear the athletic podcast with David Ornstein with the rumor that they supposedly also looked at Julian Nagelsmann? Thought that was curious. I did not hear, but luckily you told me just before we started recording. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's curious. I, I do think it's curious that they considered that. I mean, I know that they've considered it in the past. I mean, Nagelsmann was still a Leipzig and then Bayern swooped in real quick and, you know, they went for Tuchel. Um, but I do find this curious that the name keeps popping up. Hmm. I mean, I think you would struggle to find a football club that could entice Nagelsmann away from Bayern at the moment. Um, yeah. Not only in terms of finances, because they've probably stuck an even larger release closet than the, than the one they paid Leipzig for. Um, and, you know, Nagelsmann's just had the club spend a huge amount of money rebuilding that squad in mm. his kind of image or in his preference, through his preferences. So, I mean, Nagelsmann has everything he wants at Bayern right now. The only issue is that it doesn't, hasn't really clicked into gear yet. But, yeah. you know, I can understand why Chelsea would be interested in Nagelsmann, but I'm not entirely sure Nagelsmann would be interested in Chelsea. Nagelsmann still holds the club record, the club the world record for the most expensive coach signing, twenty five million euros. That's just two million euros more than what um, Chelsea paid for Graham Potter. Um, that's a huge amount of money for Bayern to just you know let go. I think there has mm. to be a big offer coming in, and I mean there is always rumblings internally that there is some disagreements between between the Bayern board and Nagelsmann because of the things he says, right? Mm. <laughs> he's, a, he's a quite open character. Uh, we saw the US tour where he made several comments that did not sit well with the Bayern, bo the Bayern board, the, the comments about Barcelona, the comments about Harry Kane. Um, you know, I feel like there's a lot of patching up to do. And, and of course, the start will also raise some eyebrows, but then I always have in the back of my mind that Bayern Munich paid 25 million euros for this guy and you don't just fire 25 million euros. Yeah. It's just... It's... Um, yeah. It's... it's, it's I'm, I don't want to go as far as say it's a non-story because obviously David Ornstein is very respectable. Mm -hmm. He knows his stuff. He's got very good sources. So I would, I, I really doubt... I, I don't doubt rather for a second that maybe he's he's learned this from the Chelsea side and maybe they did have him on the shortlist before they realized this. But yeah, I, I just don't think there's anything in this. Yeah, and he's been on the Chelsea shortlist um, before. I know this for a fact. Mm. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if you know he was still on the board and they just circled back to him, realized this wasn't going to happen, and quickly uh, centered their attention on Graham Potter, who they would ultimately get. Um, so we have all these questions about Bayern Munich, and the league table looks just fantastic. <laughs> you know, you have Union Berlin at first, you have Freiburg at second, you have Bayern at third, then you have Hoffenheim, and then you have Dortmund, Mainz, Köln, Mönchengladbach, Werder, and then all the way down at 10th, you have Leipzig. Hmm. Now, of course, Leipzig and Dortmund, we circled them in as the two teams that should be challenging Bayern Munich. And I guess the only criticism we have about this chaotic league table um, with Union Berlin rightfully in first place because of the fantastic start that they had. And there is no, you know... I do think that they have a good chance of, of sticking in this top four 
for quite a long time, maybe till the very end. But I don't think they're going to be able to challenge Bayern Munich for the title. Um, I might have to. <laughs> I might have to go circle back at this at some point when Union Berlin finally do lift the title. But <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen this year. But it kind of is frustrating because you have Dortmund and Leipzig in a situation where they really should be six points ahead of Bayern Munich now, right? Yeah. I mean, that was kind of the kind of thing I mentioned on Twitter when I mentioned that this is the worst Bayern star since 2010. It's like the fact that Dortmund are still below them just kind of, I think it sums up the Bundesliga perfectly well. You get people mm-hmm. from outside who constantly moan about Bayern's dominance of the league. And we go to great lengths to point out that this isn't a case of Bayern buying up the best players or whatever else. I mean, they have done that in the past and you could certainly make a strong case that they've done that to Leipzig in the last couple of years. So they're not entirely blameless, but more often than not, Dortmund get in their way, get in their own way before Bayern even have a chance to kind of combat them. And this season has just been another example of that. That Bayern, that Dortmund Leipzig game rather was just, um, it was an incredible watch. It was an education for Dortmund, I think, you know, Eden Terzic Mm. in particular. Um, it was probably the worst case scenario for Sebastian Kale, who obviously, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast before, he purposely made a choice to sack Marco Rosa to bring Terzic back in as head coach. Mm. Um, and we talked about this at a time in the podcast. We talked about that. I went so far as to say they'd sacked a decent tactical head coach for a cheerleader. And, you know, I know Dortmund have picked up some points here and there and they might get they might get a decent result against Man City. It's unlikely, but you never know uh, with the pressure off them. Um, but I've seen very little to kind of change my mind on that, to be perfectly honest with you. And yeah. the thing that really kind of worries me about this Dortmund side, well, not just the side, but the club in general, is that watching Jude Bellingham kind of just run around putting out fires in that midfield all day, um, it really brought back a lot of the the conclusion I came to when Erling Haaland left the club, which was they had arguably the best striker in the world, if not the second best striker in the world at the club last season and for in the season four, and they couldn't move the dial at all with them. And yeah. that was a huge, huge insult or a huge issue that Dortmund... It, it just, I'm trying to think of the right word to describe it, but it basically underlined the, the, the huge problems of that club that they could have. It's the equivalent of literally sticking Lino Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo or Kylian Mbappe up front, and Dortmund still couldn't get it together. And they're doing the exact same thing this season with Jude Bellingham. This kid's mm. going to go on to become one of the best midfielders in the world. And, you know, there's just, they're not, they're not building anything around that whatsoever. And it's it is a travesty, to be perfectly honest with you. It's an absolute mess. It's a circus. Mm. And I don't know. I think Matt Ford at Deutsche Welle did a really good piece on some of the quotes and stuff that have come out of it. And, you know, the, re- the reaction to the game. And I kind of responded to that saying, you know, I think the one thing I think Dortmund really lack right now is a playmaker. And I think they do. You know, you're looking at that game. There's such a gap between whatever or whoever's playing up front right now it's Modesta who at times in that game was probably doing Leipzig a favor in terms of just the lack of running the lack of movement the lack of link up with the team uh he looked like a complete passenger um and that midfield and I think that's been the case for some time now if unless Marco Royce does something magical 
Um, Dortmund just don't really seem to have any inspiration in the attack. That could change maybe when Daniel Malin and Adeyemi come back, perhaps. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I think this Dortmund team is just an absolute mess. Um, Terzic hasn't really seemed to fix anything, despite having an extended preseason with a lot of these players, to be fairly honest with you. Um, and Marco Rosa managed to come in and within the space of what, three or four days got that Leipzig team pumping in all cylinders. Yeah, and I had a lot of people point out to me on Twitter that Dortmund were missing all these guys. But at the end of the day, um, you know, Kobel is the big absence, but I, I don't think Leipzig, are, he's going to make a difference against a Leipzig side that, you know, had a 2.27 XG versus a six, 0.69 XG, you know. Hmm. I mean, this. I think this result, Kobel doesn't get Dortmund a point here uh, because that's the best they could have done considering attacking-wise where they were at. But also in Utskan and Bellingham, they have their, their two best midfielders available. They both play. Um, the back four is what it is, right? Schlotterbeck mm-hmm. and Sule both start. And that's probably where you where your worries are at. Like, yeah, okay. Um, your best attacking players are, are out. Uh, one of them is only just coming back, right? And Giovanni Reina, who mm-hmm. I think will be maybe that playmaker that, that you mentioned. Um, but uh, Karim Adeyemi that's actually pretty much it isn't it <laughs> is he going to move the dial enough for when he comes back yeah okay Sebastian Haller is out but this is a fact that we've now known for a good two months hmm. um, and he's really the only guy that I can think of Torgen Hazard hasn't been really a consistent starter either hmm. so it's in other words Adjio Reina and Karim Adeyemi when they're fully fit going to move the dial and this tactical setup? And my answer is probably no. Hmm. No, I don't think they would have made a difference in, in this Leipzig game, not in, in the way this team was lined up and it was grouped. And that is, I think, I think that's some, one, some of the issues I have. It's all very, very reliant on individuals um, moving the dial for them. Marco Reus is like Bellingham. Like you don't have to worry about Marco Reus going anywhere. Um, except for maybe to the United States to end his career. I, I think that's very much a possibility and something that's being discussed with, within his camp. And I know this for a fact, but like, he's not, you know, he's not going to another top club anytime soon, but Bellingham very much will. Right. Mm. And so you have, these two are the only two that are really trying to get something done. Uh, Gio Reyna comes in. He, oftentimes it's the same with him as well. This is something that I've criticized. Dortmund under Mark Rosa as well, by the way, that it's often felt like it wasn't tactics that were running the games for them, but individual performances. Hmm. And that's that's worrying, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, the other thing that I found was really worrying is that Marco Rosa comes in, within 48 hours, he slightly retuned. It's not like he completely changed this, this, this Leipzig side. I mean, Sava Schlager comes in. Um, Raum starts, right? Simakan is on the right. Uh, Diallo comes in um, and he plays kind of in Kunku and Werner up top. But it's not like he makes a huge amount of adjustments. He just makes a few small tweaks that were probably obvious for a lot of people. And it's enough. It's enough to beat the stop on side. Yeah, I think the thing is, like, you know, Dortmund fans have a fair point to make a fair point to make in terms of the, the the missing players but 
Dortmund fans have been saying this for the last 10 years now. Oh, injuries, injuries mm. here, injuries there, injuries. Yeah. It gets to the point where you have to say, well, there's clearly something inherently prob- problematic with the club. And I know that is a genuine issue that, you know, Dortmund fans do talk about. But even though they, it was quite a threadbare bench they had on Saturday, when you look at the key players or the senior players that they had on the bench, I think that actually illustrates a bigger problem. They had Emery Chan, a player who's probably one of the highest earners at the club, who continually struggles to do anything when he comes on the pitch, if not a problem. Mats Hummels, okay, not as bad as Chan, but obviously another liability. They got Mukuku, a young player who's been mucked about in terms of playing time, in terms of what he's been promised. Um, No idea where he fits into that team. He must have been watching that game baffled as to why... Um, yeah. Obviously, Modest starts in front of him because Modest was horrendous. Oh, and you got Wolf. Gio Rain. Marius Wolf starts on right wing over Mukuku. Exactly. And then you've got Gio Reyna, who, for the best will in the world, um, at this moment in his career, has proved that he can't stay fit for a full season. So, you know, hmm. obviously, they had, and don't get me wrong, they had two or three really young players on the bench to fill in for other players who were out injured. But this isn't as if, it's, it's not as if this is all just kind of an unexpected turn of events for Dortmund. They haven't been able to rely on Emery Chan for some time now. They haven't been able to rely on Mats Hummels for some time now. They haven't been able to rely on Gio Reyna for some time now. Mukuku, they haven't been able to fit into that team for some time now. So it's that that's that's the crux of the issue here. It's not the play, it's not the fact that Adeyemi or you know Kobel have been out injured. It's the fact that the players that they fall back on are still not good enough. That's the difference between Bayern and maybe potentially RB Leipzig. Their second string players just aren't good enough. And because they get in because they get injuries so often, these these problems are constantly exposed. So I've only got so much sympathy for Dortmund in this regard because, you know, it a lot of it just kind of feels like a problem of their own making. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm really curious. Um about the mood in Dortmund um, flying on Wednesday, Stefan, and there will be at the Rivier Derby on Saturday. Um, mm. So don't worry, there's going to be lots of content on this on on our on our newsletter. Can we can um, we can we re- talk about that? Can we t- talk about that for a moment, actually? Yeah, we should. Um, just because I know we don't have any notes for the podcast, but it's just something I've picked up on there. So Dortmund go off and play Man City this weekend, this week, yeah. which is on actually Wednesday, right? Yeah. Yeah, which is and probably... the game is on because it is in Dortmund. Just need yeah. to underline that too. That's probably a blessing in disguise in the sense that there's just absolutely no expectation on them to win that game. So, you know, Terzic is kind of fine. He can, I mean, obviously it's not great having to come up against Pep Guardiola at any point, but there's just no mm-hmm. expectation on Dortmund to do well in that game. But then they have Schalke at home, and yeah. if there's any fixture in the Bundesliga, which could really, really hammer home the point that things aren't working under Terzic. It would be losing against Schalke at the Westfalen Stadion in front of the yellow wall. Uh, a Schalke team who, to all intents and purposes, are pretty average at the moment. They've, they're kind of grinding out results. They don't look great. They look okay. Not remarkable at all. If Schalke are able to cause them issues, and if Schalke are even capable of winning that game, I think we might see the cat amongst the pigeons. Um, in that regard, mm-hmm. things could get really, really messy at Dortmund. I, I agree. And Schalke, as you rightfully pointed out, are not a very good team at the moment. Um, 
they did beat Bochum, uh, which you know who then ended up firing the head coach. Um, Rice is gone, uh, which I thought was was harsh. But um, they, you do you do know that this is a highly emotional game, especially after a year's absence because Schalke were in the second division. And yeah, Dortmund smashed Schalke in the in the last Trivia derby that they, those two teams played, but that was without fans, right? Hmm. And this game tends to go a little bit differently when 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 the stadium is full. Um, and you do wonder what happens. And I think Dortmund fans will look at that Leipzig result, and there is issues between Dortmund fans and what. Dortmund fans call Leipzig customers, you know, so this is a game that they don't want to lose either. And um, I do wonder what the emotional response will be like should Dortmund drop points against Schalke. Hmm. I'm really, really curious. And of course, I'm there to experience it all. So don't worry, I'll let everyone know how I I see it. But um, this is a must win. This is a must win. And not to mention the fact that, you know, if Leipzig were to go, I mean, at the weekend, they play a very decent Gladbach side. So, you know, Mm -hmm. by no means uh, a team that they can expect to pick up all three points on. But if Leipzig start to start quickly moving up the league table and overtake Dortmund with Marco Rosa in charge, that also just even subconsciously applies an extra layer of pressure on Dortmund because it reflects poorly on them that their previous head coach is thriving at another club. And I thought a club that, even though Dortmund fans maybe don't want to admit it, are rivals for their exact spot in the league. So, yeah, very tricky. Very tricky for Dortmund right now. No, I just remember when I was on Stefan Busko's uh, yellow wall, he said uh, with a big with a big smile on his face that if Dortmund win this game against Leipzig, they're 10 points clear on the table. <laughs> That tells you everything you need to know how Dortmund game the Dortmund fans felt about that game, right? Mm. Obviously, the absolute opposite was the fact. It, it, I actually felt it was it was um, Leipzig looked like the team in the top four and not Dortmund in this game. They were miles above them. It was never, never, ever any close. Mm. And yeah. um, that would really worry me. Yeah, right. well, the, the the interesting thing about Leipzig is, and I was thinking about this today actually, um, in regards to, you know, because someone was asking me whether you know Leipzig are going to go out and buy a bunch of players this in January because they brought this new head coach in, but they've kind of done the opposite of what most head, what most teams do. Most teams will go out and buy the bring in the coach, and then they'll say, right, let's spend next two or three seasons building the squad that you want. And obviously, that's what Bayern have done with Nagelsmann this summer. At Leipzig, they've kind of done the opposite. They built the squads, spent a lot of money building that squad, and then rejected a lot of money in the summer to keep that squad. And Mm -hmm. they've decided, right, Tedesco's not the guy to get the best out of this team. Let's go get a a Red Bull guy. And that's what they've done to Marco Rosa. So, you know, we've kind of, we talked about this in the last couple of shows about how uninspiring it is, but in a lot of ways he ticks all the boxes because he's maybe potentially the final piece of the puzzle there, isn't he? It it might actually work, yeah. Um it's kinda like the Chelsea way. <laughs> 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 where you where you uh first build the squad, then you fire the coach, bring in a new coach, and then you bring in a sporting director for the coach. 
um, Leipzig seemed to be very much down the same path. Because <laughs> officially, they don't have a sporting director yet. We, I think we all have an idea who is going to be there in difficult negotiations with Gladbach to get Max Eberl out of out of that Gladbach contract. He's not a charge at Gladbach, right? But um, because he, he stepped down for uh, mental health reasons, he's still officially under contract there and Gladbach making it difficult for Leipzig to get, get the guy. But I do believe ultimately there will be a solution found. Um, so it's kind of funny that the puzzle piece that you actually need to hold everything together is still the final one. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, well, um, I guess it's like everyone else starts their puzzle at the edges and works their way in. Leipzig have kind of done it the opposite way. Um, but if it works, it works. And I, I think the lucky thing for them is that they have that that huge international break over, over Christmas. And if they didn't keep it close, and it, as I said, it's only four points to Bayern. Yes, it's six to the top of the table, but let's be realistic here. We all know what the gap, the real gap needs to be. And that's manageable hmm. at the moment. Um, and they've probably pressed the red button just in time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see how things go. Um hmm. But they also have some tricky games coming up. They've got Real Madrid next. Um, we talked about this actually, I think maybe the last show, maybe Rosa coming in in terms of the fixtures they've got is really nuts. But mm-hmm. but then, of course, Karim Benzema's just picked up an injury. So maybe maybe Fortune seems to be favoring the Red Bull at the moment. Oh, that's huge. Hmm. I didn't even realize that. Um, so that's news to me, but that's huge. If he can't play, yeah, he's that out. changes everything in that match. So can you imagine within the space of a week after sacking Tedesco, Leipzig go on to beat Dortmund comfortably and it was comfortable um, mm-hmm. and then snatch a win against Real Madrid and all of a sudden Marco Rosa is the uh, talk of the town. His hometown of all places. Which, by the way, is a lovely, it's a lovely city. If anyone yeah. gets the chance, you should really go to Leipzig. It's a lovely place. I've been there several times, and yeah, I think it's it's a great place. I'm actually going to go to Leipzig. Um, it's part of the things. I had a, I had an interview scheduled with someone who was fired <laughs> recently <laughs> ahead of the Celtic game. So there's that. That's no longer happening. Um, don't worry. We'll find an alternative piece of content. Um, I'm sure Leipzig are very helpful with that kind of stuff usually, but um, it is on on the on the list of things or places I'm going to go to um, while I'm there. And uh, this, I'm going to be at the Celtic game, Stefan, and I'm, I'm really really looking forward to it too because it is it's a great city to visit. Um, anyone who has a chance to visit Leipzig, I think it's a really really nice place. Hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, I am curious where they're going to be at by the time I'm there. Um, because I think there's two things that are kind of in, in their favor. First of all, you know, the Real Madrid game, if they get a good result there, great. If they don't, well, they can just put the blame on Tedesco. But um, the Gladbach game, I think they're going to get a positive result. And then they have a break. They have an international break. Mm. Um, uh, so that gives them two weeks to sort of work with the squad. Um, granted, some players will be gone on international duty, but still. And then, you know, the, the schedule continues. And then you have this huge World Cup break. And I, I'm actually thinking that they might invest over the winter. 
Oh, really? Mm -hmm. I think so. If the gap is small enough to buy in, I think they will try. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see, but look, if, if Dortmund aren't going to do it, if Leipzig aren't, or if Leverkusen aren't going to do it, then I guess it's going to have to fall on, the, on Leipzig. Yeah. Um, speaking of Leverkusen, <laughs> so we had a coaching sacking in Tedesco. We had uh, Bochum sack the coach, as I mentioned, um, which I, I personally, we don't need to spend a ton of time on this. But... Um, I thought it was it was harsh on Thomas Reis to be fired. I think he's he's done an excellent job at uh, with a Bochum side. That's that's really the maximum we can get out of them, right? Um, and I think this is kind of a little bit of a populist move where where a team thinks they can fix issues that don't lie on the coach by firing the coach. It's very harsh, but that brings me to my next point, Gerardo Sione. Hmm. Your newsletter is on this particular topic, Stefan. Um, Leverkusen probably, now that Leipzig have beaten Dortmund, smashed Dortmund, um, Leverkusen probably the biggest disappointment this early on in the season. Oh, without a doubt. Second only to Bochum, who obviously, as you mentioned, sacked their head coach, who who I actually think will probably be back in the Bundesliga before too long. Um, yeah. I think in the long term, he's probably got more prospects going from than this Bochum side but yeah um, today's newsletter was on Leverkusen I provided a bit of insight as to what's going on in the club right now uh, where Siona's kind of standing with things and speaking to people at the club the kind of general gist of things seems to be that they're not really ready to kind of you know pull the handbrake and I don't know where I'm going with this metaphor, push the red button and <laughs> who knows. But they're not quite ready to kind of chuck them, chuck the baby out with the bathwater. There's another one. Um, yeah, there's there's not a huge inclination to sack the head coach right now. Um, and I think more or less comes down to the fact that, you know, the, the team just aren't performing at the moment. Obviously, Leverkusen has spent quite a lot of money and they've been very smart in the transfer over the last couple of seasons, building a squad uh, that should finish top four comfortably. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, looking at watching those last couple of games, uh, I didn't catch the Leverkusen game at the weekend, which a horde of Hertha Berlin fans were happy to remind me about on Twitter. I must say, I've never been so <laughs> bamboozled by fan reactions because I said that Leverkusen didn't beat lowly Hertha Berlin. And with the word lowly, I meant as in a team who are down on their luck, etc., etc. And I don't know why, but they thought that meant that Hertha didn't deserve to win that individual game, which they absolutely did. Um but you know that was a game they should have. That's that's a game they should have lost. I think. Um, obviously, um, a penalty decision ruled out, which didn't seem very right, and also a huge clangor miss when it was still nil nil from one of the Hertha strikers. Uh, and the same sort of thing happened in the Club Bruges game, in the sense that yeah. you know I think Herodeki at the moment just seems to be all over the place. Jonathan Ta as well, um, but more importantly. Um, when I was speaking to people at the club, they were basically suggesting, and this is what the gist of my newsletter is, that um, without Florian Verts in there to really kind of pull the strings in the middle of the, of the park, the team's just not really functioning. You know, it's like a car without a proper engine. 
Um, and yeah, I go into much greater detail as to what's going on there. So go go sign up to newsletter, or if you already are, then then go pick it up. But I think one of the kind of takeaways from it is that you know they've obviously got a game against Atletico Madrid this week mm. in the Champions League, which is very similar to kind of Dortmund situation against Man City. I think in the sense that you know it's a game there's not a huge amount of expectation put on them, but I think this Werder Bremen game at the weekend could prove to be very crucial. Um, I think if they don't kind of turn things around there, Siona might find himself uh, very uncomfortable. The club, I'll put it that way, and we might see a change at that point. I find this this the oh, the the weird thing really curious. Do you think that's why they went so heavily under after Michalo Mutrik? And I think now the entire world knows what sort of talent he is, mm. right? From his Champions League performance against Leipzig. Um, he's probably, you know, he's probably out of reach for them now financially. Um, when you when you know what Shakhtar Donetsk is asking and, um, you know, having having worked on Ukrainian football quite a bit in the past and know that they're extremely difficult. Irina Akhmetov, the, the owner of the club, is a very difficult negotiation partner. Mm. But, you look at Mutrik's performances and what he brings, that is probably one that they missed out on. So you'll know a lot more about this guy than I do. Is he a wide player or is he a central player? He can be both. Right. And he's really dynamic. He's really fast, mm. um, very direct in mm. a lot of ways, like Wirtz is too, physically further in his development, right? Mm. Um, I think... Well, I didn't ask about him, but I did ask about Hudson Adoy, and I said, "Was well, this why you picked him up lastly?" And they said, "Well, no, that's not the no." He was really into kind of help out with Adley and Bellarabi, in the sense of kind of wide positions. Um, and, you know, obviously this guy from Shakhtar might be in a similar role. I do, I do kind of look at where Klozek has been playing since he came into the team, and I do wonder if there was kind of a lot of hope that he could maybe be a real quick time, a quick player to kind of step in and. You know, obviously he can't really be Florian Verts, but if he can offer something, because if you actually look at the stats, and this is kind of mentioned in the, pod, in the newsletter as well, if you look at their stats in terms of where Leverkusen are attacking, um, I mean, their goal scoring's way down. Um, yeah. You know, I kind of mentioned this to you on the show off, off air before, but one of the stats that really stood out to me was that, you know, they've got eight goals from the first league, uh, from their first six league games this season. By this point last season, they had twice as many and Verts alone had scored or assisted eight on his own. So that's kind of, you know, where we are with this team. Now, if you imagine Flory Verts is in his team and he's already got eight goals and assists to his name, Leverkusen are probably in a very different position to where they are now. Problem is, they don't have another player like him because if you actually, they've got like seven or eight central midfielders. They've got midfielders for days but mm. there are all these kind of holding midfielders. It's Arangues, it's Andre, it's Palacios. You know, um, I was kind of saying as well before we started recording that I found it quite interesting that Simon Rolfe has made a point to really kind of highlight how well Demarbe played uh, against Hertha because he's maybe the first kind of central midfielder who's kind of played that true box to box role, that kind of true, almost like a number ten, because that's what that's what Leverkusen have really been missing. So. I think for now they're they're not happy, but they're willing to kind of chalk up this poor start to the fact that you know they're missing their key number ten and they don't have anyone to spit, step in for them. But 
I think that kind of excuse will only go so far. Yeah, and he's not coming back till November. You, you can't wait that long, hmm. right? Um, and it, it is kind of crazy that you gets his nineteen now hmm. that you're putting that kind of expectation or weight on a nineteen-year-old who's recovering from an ACL cruciate ligament surgery. Hmm. And anyone who's ever had that that surgery um, and the recovery process, and I'm one of those unfortunate people, hmm. knows how long it takes and how long it takes to be actually, you know, being back on the field and playing or doing activities, one thing, but to actually be feeling comfortable with that ligament again takes about as long as the time that you were out. Hmm. Um, of course, everyone handles it a bit different, but that was my personal experience with it. And that was the experience with a lot of professional players I talked to about the surgery um, mm-hmm. as well. That, you know, that is usually what they say. Like being physically fit is one thing because it is, the, the, it's, it's a different ligament. Like when they repair that ligament, they're putting in a new piece um, in there, right? To replace the cruciate ligament that, that you lost. Mm-hmm. So you actually have to relearn how how to use the joint because it's not the same joint anymore <laughs> it, it operates differently and so you have to actually become comfortable with a piece of your body that's now different mm. if that makes sense yeah well, yeah and i think a lot of people don't realize that yeah i think i think i'd be very surprised if he obviously made it to the world cup i don't think he will but you know that will obviously give him time to kind of pull things back i think we'll probably see leverkusen i think we'll see a lot of these clubs go on kind of mid-season tours with the squads who don't go to world cup so maybe he can come back just in time for the world cup and then have something of a small pre-season uh to kind of get back up to form as you said that's no indication that he'll be back to his 100 best but i just i think it's it, it's it's quite charming i think how quickly he's become a key player for Leverkusen. And, you know, I know you are the the founding member of the Jamal Musiala fan club. <laughs> and I'm the founding member of the Floating Verse fan club. So we do kind of butt heads on this from time to time. But I think it shows just how good Floating Verse is that he is so crucial to his team so quickly. Yeah. And even just going back and watching his goals and assists for that newsletter to the research I was doing, you forget just how well he glides through teams, specifically Dortmund. I forgot how many goals he scored against Dortmund. But it's also the case with Musiala. Both these players are already crucial for their teams because you mm. can, not to kind of regurgitate everything we talked about Bayern recently, but if you took it there, if you look at their long list of forward players that got on the team this season, Musiala has probably been the best performer right now. And he absolutely saved their bacon at the weekend there. So it's very good for Germany that these two players are already so important for their clubs. And let's just hope that Vartz can come back and still be the player that he was. I'm glad you're saying that about Musiala because I had actually someone yell at me on Twitter that Musiala wasn't very good on the weekend. (laughs) (laughs) No, wait, he was absolutely horrible was the actual quote. And I'm like, okay, this wasn't one of his best games, but he still scored a crucial goal. And it was a goal from absolutely nothing. You know, it was it was almost like a something like Messi would do that kind of jink to shift his weight and score from nothing. And yeah, um, yeah, it was it was it was tremendous. There's a lot more than Gnabry and Sani and Thomas Muller did. That's for sure. Well, and the thing is, like, yeah, the the person was right. If Musiala doesn't score that goal, that's an absolutely horrendous performance. But he scored that goal, 
And so, you know, even when you have a poor performance and you still manage to score, then that tells you a lot about the quality of that player. Anyways, I digress. I, I, I am with you. Florian Wirtz is a remarkable player. I, I, I put those two young kids in the same category, to be honest with you. Um, and I think Germany is very lucky that by the by 2024, when they're hosting the Euros, that both of them will be probably in the prime age mm. because that's going to be extremely difficult to defend against. <laughs> <laughs> um, so very exciting for Germany, of course. But yeah, I, I think that I, I am, I'm really curious what's going to happen with him in the World Cup squad. Um, I could see him going without playing or playing a lot. Yeah. Um, simply to give him that experience similar to when Ronaldo went the original Ronaldo the real Ronaldo went to 1994 World Cup mm. um, people forget that he was part of that Brazil squad but he didn't play right but um, he has said often enough that that was actually quite important for his development as a player later on and so I could see Flick taking him just to experience it yeah, although if you're Leverkusen, you probably want him to stay at home and get pick up a full mid-season, pre-season, if you want to call it that. But yeah, we'll see. Exciting times, though, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's it. I think we went through everything that we had to discuss. Hmm. Is there anything else you want to bring up? Um, just to say to folk to sign up to the newsletter if they're interested. Yeah. If they, even if you just want to help support the podcast, uh, it's like works out at like four dollars a month, I think. Even less if you take an annual subscription. And the th- the fun stuff that we've had, we've been doing. Um, you know, obviously, if you're not a subscriber, you won't be able to listen to this. But we've been doing some really fun podcasts where something happens. We drop a we drop a note in the Substack. Our listeners jump in with their questions and thoughts, and we spend most of the bonus podcast just going through that and bouncing off their topics, their questions, and their opinions. So it's been a really fun way to just kind of talk to you guys, to be to be to be perfectly blunt, um, and of course to help us to support what we do and what we're trying to do even more of. Um, so yeah, if you're considering it. There's, there's a free trial function. Have a look at it, see what you think. Manu is jet setting across the world to uh, back to Germany to you know dig into all sorts of interesting topics on the ground mm-hmm. for us. So there's a lot more interesting stuff coming. So definitely take a look if you get a chance. Yeah, and um, your newsletter this week, fantastic stuff. Um, absolutely worth reading. And yeah, please stay in touch with us. If there is something that you want us to cover, we're more than happy to dig into that as well. And um, the interaction has been great. Uh, It's been really nice talking to you guys all. Um, You know, it's one thing having just anonymous numbers, um, listener numbers, but actually having people who engage, it's it's really great. Um, And we really appreciate all the questions. Um, So yeah, that's been fantastic. And yeah, there's going to be good content this week. Um, I'm going to do something on, on the Riviera Derby. Uh, Leverkusen newsletter is, of course, up already. And then we're probably going to dig into the Bayern-Barcelona game right after it happens too, right, Stefan? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a good um, point, but- actually. So if you are a subscriber and you're wondering when the bonus show will be out this week, it will be another post-Champions League one, Yeah, if that makes sense. So, yeah, <laughs> it'll be a little later than usual, but that's just so we can pick up the results. Yep. On that note... Uh, this show is brought to you by Bad Online, and we'll be back later this week with more content. Until then, auf Wiedersehen. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.